how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. Sorry that I'm a couple minutes late. Not a problem. It's just been one of those crazy days. <laughs> yes, I get it. Awesome. It looks like you have a very interesting background. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, this is my podcast studio. So I tried to like make it as warm and cozy as possible. Oh, I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Where yeah, it was. Are you based? North Carolina. So an outlier. Everyone's like either thinking it's one of like the hubs, you know, what I mean? I'm, in the, I'm on the outskirts, just kind of watching everything unfold. Ah, awesome. Well, I'm uh, happy to have you on the podcast today. I'd love it if you would give us a bit of an introduction about who you are. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And thank you for having me, especially so last minute. I just saw your calendar. It's like, let's get this recorded for it before the holidays start rolling in and then no one has any time. So I'm Candace Horvath. I'm the host of Chatting with Candace. It's a podcast that's been up and running for about three years. I recently started into the latest season. I had my second baby. So I was taking a very much like needed maternity break. So I'm back in it, which feels amazing to keep that part of myself alive because you can get very stuck in the rhythm of motherhood. And it's very nice to have a reason to read and learn and talk to adults. So it is a very necessary outlet for me. I was in the adult industry for, I guess, like seven, seven years. And then I kind of left to start my own thing. I started an agency that represents adult content creators. We are doing some work in the psychedelic spiritual space. So I have my hand in many pots right now. How did you end up in adult entertainment? I never know how to answer that because I feel like there's probably a whole force that was pushing me there that maybe I didn't even wasn't aware of, but I would say like the biggest reasons were I saw these women that seemed to like really embody like that feminine sensuality and sexuality and they channeled it into like this very powerful creative way. And mm -hmm. like these women like Pamela Anderson and Carmen Electra and Tara Patrick. And I just looked at them and saw like they figured out something that I didn't figure out yet. Like I was still super insecure within myself. I didn't feel safe within myself. I felt a lot of shame around like my body and pleasure. And I had no idea what sensuality was or sexuality was or like the idea that I'm supposed to derive enjoyment from interactions. Like anytime I'd ever been with someone, it was performative, which is ironic. And it was to please someone else. And it, it wasn't fulfilling in any way. And I was like, there's got to be another way. And I was with a guy for a really long time. We ended up breaking up. And during that breakup, I saw it as an opportunity to just redefine who I was or like rediscover who I was because I had no idea. And mm -hmm. for some reason, and I really don't know why or like why I felt so comfortable or drawn, I just I felt like if I just dove into if I leaned into that curiosity that like that adult space was the best outlet for me to play with that energy and like figure out how and what I wanted from it. And I know that's going to sound like really crazy to a lot of people because it is such a permanent decision and such a huge decision. But I think when we're younger, we don't necessarily understand the ripple effects that are going to take place from a lot of our choices, right? We make a lot of decisions based off of curiosity. And I don't think that's a bad thing at all. But I think that because that the nature of that industry is so delicate, I'm pretty boisterous about raising the age of entry because I got in relatively late um, speaking. I, like, I got in at 20, well, 
I started webcamming at 19 and I started getting into film at 21. So it depends on like what you consider the industry. But even at 21, when I made the decision to film, I didn't fully understand how big of a decision that was going to be. So I can't imagine being 18 and making that choice if they're fully consenting because they're not given the whole scope of like what that means. Yeah. Did you enjoy it? Overall? Yeah, for sure. I think it's like any other experience. It's painted with things that are beautiful and great and exciting. And then there's also days that suck or days that test your boundaries or days that someone's trying to take advantage of you. And I don't think that's unique to the industry. I think that that we get like a really yucky feeling about it because it is such an intimate space. And maybe the instances are more like obvious and exaggerated. Like it's a lot harder to hide a sexual, like sexual misconduct or something because that's the nature of the industry. So when it goes wrong, it goes very wrong. And I think that what we do as a culture is we, it's like rather than say, I disagree with this or this industry or this line of work or this expression, it's we exile it entirely. We don't want to look at it. We shove it away. And then what happens? It festers. So it's rather than look at it with so much judgment and like almost like ostracizing all of those people. It's like, well, why don't you just ask, like, why don't you demand better? Why don't you demand better out of the industry? And why don't you make it safer for people that are consenting to make that kind of work possible? Like instead of saying, just get rid of it all. Like, why don't we look at it how we would look at anything else, right? Like there needs to be certain regulations. There needs to be safety. So instead of approaching it from like such a visceral place, approach it a little bit more pragmatically. Yeah. Do you think that porn is beneficial or negative for relationships? Because I I have this discussion often with people and I hear a lot lately that it's really bad for relationships. I think it's a tool like anything else, right? Mm -hmm. So you can use water to sustain your life and to hydrate or you can literally drown in it. So it's how you're using it. It's the intention behind it. And I think often we run away from any kind of serious discomfort within our relationship. So we don't have real conversations. So it's a lot easier to blame the porn. It's a lot easier to blame the gambling. It's a lot easier to blame social media. It's a lot easier to blame like, you know, your partner's going out or like too much or whatever it is. It's easier to look at the symptom and say, well, that's it rather than understanding it's a symptom and not a cause. So we're using just the way that it is like the issue is being expressed and we're blaming that on why we don't have the relationship that we have. But the fact is, is if you can't even have a conversation around sex or around porn without getting so triggered and so emotional, A, that's pretty indicative that your communication style needs and evolution. It needs maturing. You need to be able to like step away from your emotions and figure out what's going on with the relationship. So if you have someone that's watching way too much porn and whatever that is for you, like that could be 30 minutes, it could be eight hours. Like everyone's going to have a different idea of what too much porn is. If you have probably like a husband or boyfriend and they're watching what you consider too much porn, like why is he avoiding the relationship? Why is he avoiding connection? Why is he avoiding his responsibilities? Because that's what the porn is, right? It's a means of avoidance if it's consumed if like the dosage is off right and the thing is is like we can have issues with anything people can have compulsion issues with anything there's some people where you know an ice cream cone isn't going to ruin their life they can go enjoy an ice cream there's other people it will ruin their life like they are addicted to food have a compulsion problem so we don't just say well we have to ban all ice cream because this group of people can't control or modulate how much they're supposed to have it's like okay well what is causing this right? Why am I escaping? Why can't I have a conversation? Why am I jealous? Like we don't get down to the first principles of what we believe and what we feel. We just kind of 
accept like this original operating system that was placed on us without asking why is it there and do I want to keep it? Mm -hmm. So a friend of mine had actually the other day called me all upset because they saw that their husband was watching like what they thought was really weird porn that mm -hmm. they had come across. So it was like sort of like transgender porn, gay porn, but they're not gay. Mm -hmm. Have you ever heard of that? That's actually really popular. It's really oh. common. It's really common. And oh. I think it's so, so, so important for women to understand that porn is made for men. It is a product made for men. Mm -hmm. So if you watch something, you're like, I don't get how he likes this. Well, you're not a man. It's not made for you, right? And there is some porn that's shot for women. And even that is like, meh, like most women aren't really into that either. We tend to gravitate towards erotica um, and things that are a little bit more sensual and stimulate our mind more. We really want the story and the investment and like the passion and like the very overt sexual nature of pornography is a turnoff to most women, right? It's supposed to be. It's not catered for your mind, your brain. It's made for the male mind. So when you see something and you don't get it, I would suggest like asking, like, what about the and asking in like a way that's not like shaming them or like ready for an argument, like asking because you really want to know, right? Like know the difference between like starting an argument and just trying to truly understand your person. But when it comes to the transgender porn, specifically for straight men, there's this theory, it's in a billion, this book called A Billion Wicked Thoughts, and it's like the largest data collection of erotic material. And they kind of debunk a lot of myths and misconceptions around porn and sex and specifically like the male and female sex drives and way that we just see sexuality. So it's kind of like a juxtaposition in the mind. So it's when you're, you have something that's like sweet and salty at the same time, your mind is like, this doesn't really exist in nature. So it doesn't know what to do with it. So you have to have more and more and more of it. It becomes like really interesting and addictive. And it's kind of like that with the trans porn for men is the theory. So you have someone that looks like beautiful and feminine, but then also has a penis. So those are two opposing expressions, if you will. So it creates this juxtaposition within the mind. And then the man is kind of like hypnotized in a way by it. Like they find it really interesting. And I wouldn't it doesn't mean that he's gay. It doesn't mean that he's into trans women. It's just like this weird hack that they kind of figured out with the content. Oh, that's so interesting. I know. I know. I find it really interesting. I haven't talked to any like straight men that are into it, but I know that it's very big. And then one of the things when it comes to men seeing like especially large penises on camera, it kind of creates this idea of competition, like sperm competition for them. So on some kind of subconscious level, it actually revs up their sex drive. Like it makes like their semen, like it makes them produce more semen because wow. now it's like that's competition and I've got to be like the more alpha one. So there's so much science that goes behind porn that people have no idea, but it doesn't accidentally become a multi-billion dollar industry, right? It does that because it has a lot of research and it's a product. Hmm. I wonder if that's part of why it's so addictive for people. Mm. I don't think so. And like, if you talk to any neuroscientist, they're not going to put it under the addictive category. And then we can have the conversation of like, maybe what constitutes addiction maybe needs to be evolved because that was designed before social media, that was designed before like scrolling, that was designed before the internet. So like, maybe we need to have a different conversation of like, what constitutes addiction? Currently, it's not Porn is not in there. Gambling is not in there. Sex is not in there. What professionals tend to say is it's more of a compulsion issue and more of an issue with like that idea of delayed gratification. So I think we have a whole bunch of men that 
don't really know what they're supposed to be doing, what their purpose is. They have so much anxiety when it comes to approaching women that a lot of them, I think it's the easiest way to get what they need, right? Mm -hmm. So it's terrifying. There's this study that recently came out and it's something like over 80% of Gen Z and millennials think that a man approaching a woman for any woman always or almost always considers is constituted as harassment. So if you have a whole generation that thinks that, you're not going to approach a woman to date, right? It's terrifying. You don't want her to think that. You don't want other people to think that. So what do you do? And I'm not supportive of using porn as like a band-aid or a replacement of a real human connection because they're very different. But when it comes to consuming porn, And saying, well, it's super addictive because like, yes, it is using neurochemistry to create this product. You would say like, well, if anything, then sex is 100% going to be addictive because it's like a match to a firework as far as what goes on in your brain when you climax by yourself versus with somebody else. There's literally certain parts of your body that can't be activated unless someone else is touching you, which is why like someone else grazes your arm or gives you a massage. It feels different. So it's very similar in that regard. So like, If you were to be addicted, you would 100% be addicted to sex before pornography. Now, is it offering a quick release for something that is very necessary, especially for men, which is their sex drive? And then now because they had that quick little release, they're not going to be motivated to go seek a partner, perhaps. Right. Mm. And then that's something that they need to be able to self-modulate and say, again, it's not the porn. They're just using the porn as like a Band-Aid because they're avoiding. So why am I avoiding? And then these are deeper questions that people need to be asking. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. How do you see the differences in uh, how men and women perceive and experience sexuality? Oh my gosh, there's so many, right? It's like, we're, it's harder to find the similarities I think, <laughs> between men and women. Like that one would really stump me. I think men are a lot more capable of having spontaneous arousal. Like it is a lot easier to get them like in the mood and they're ready to go. I think on average, they need about 10, 15 minutes to get fully aroused, whereas a woman needs about 40. And then when it, I know, like, so even that we're operating totally, totally different machinery. And then you also have all these women that like, it'll hurt during sex. And it's because you're not taking the time to get her fully aroused. So you're rushing the process and she isn't relaxed enough. Like the muscles down there are literally too tense to penetrate. And then she has pain and then she's not enjoying it. And it creates like this awful cycle. So starting engines are very, very different. Um, And then the ability to be spontaneous. And I think women need a lot more psychological stimulation. Like we want to be flirted with throughout the day. We want to know that you're thinking about us. We want you, whatever your love language is, if it's acts of service or if it's kind words or if it's gifts or if it's personal time, whatever it is, like we want all of that before we get to bed. So your life with this person is the foreplay. <laughs> and it's so funny because it's like you could have the laundry piled up and he doesn't notice it at all. He's ready to go. And that's the only thing you see, right? Because he's got more of like this direct focus and this mission. And then we have more of like this diffused awareness. And this is based off of Alison Armstrong's work. So like we are scanning our environment for like threats. And then also back in the day, what would have been like berries and foraging. So we're just constantly scanning. We're like, there's a sock. There's a pile of laundry. Why are the toys in here? I, you know what I mean? Like all of this. So we have to actively try to like tone down our mind. And I think it's a lot harder for us to drop into our body and be present 
in those moments. Based off of the work in that book, The Billion Wicked Thoughts, men tend to be a lot more visual, which is, again, pornography. So why it's so what we would probably perceive as invasive. You can see sometimes the pores on the people's skin, like it is there up close and personal. Where women, we love erotica. Like it's, if you saw how many erotica books are sold every year, like women, it's not like we don't have a sex drive. It's not like we don't want to participate in fantasy. Just the way that we do it is different. So we fantasize about the doctor or the soldier or the knight or whatever it is. Like we really love these strong male archetypes. And they say it's the comparison in that book is that the, what do you call it? It's like the money shot in porn is the facial, right? It's the guy finishing on the girl. But then the money shot in a woman's erotica is going off into the sunset or when he's kissing her in the rain and he's like, you're the only one for me. And we're just like, yes, that's it. (laughs) So what we see is very different. What we want is very different. What gets us going is very different. And that can make it really tricky to have a sex life that we're both satisfied with because men want it so much more. So there's this huge gap in like in the drive. So how do you fill that gap, especially if you're someone that's like masturbation and porn is off the table? And to me, that is so crazy. Take the porn off the table, right? Let's just talk about masturbation. I know couples where the woman thinks that masturbating is cheating. And that level of control over someone else's body is insane to me. Like I would say that's abusive. And I think if you were to flip the roles and a man was saying that to a woman, it would be so much more like obvious. Like, Mm -hmm. wait, she's not allowed to like touch herself. Like it's so it's so bizarre because we don't want our person to experience any pleasure without us because it's so selfish. So any pleasure without us is almost like a risk to our worth within that relationship. So if they're experiencing or enjoying something without me, then why do they need me? I think that's a lot of the narrative. Instead of having like this perspective of compersion where it's I I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy that you are enjoying something. And it could be a walk on the beach by yourself. It could be a brownie a la mode without me. It doesn't need to be sexually based, but it's like, I want you to enjoy every moment of life and experience pleasure. And it does not necessarily need to include me. That's such a wonderful point, whether it's a brownie or (laughs) (laughs) we want them to be happy. Right. And then if you have a woman that has a lower drive and you have a man that has a really high drive, like how do you fill that gap? Especially if you can't come to an agreement on like what is ethical within that relationship. So you have to be able to bend because that kind of issue is going to show up in a whole bunch of different areas of your life where one of you needs something that the other one can't provide. So then Mm -hmm. what are your options? Mm -hmm. How do you see it when people do have those huge differences, which I think is, like you were saying, the majority of men and women, how does that play out in long-term relationships? I think sex is so important to a relationship. I think it's the thing that really bonds you and especially for men. Like, I think that there's this idea that men are shallow and they only want sex for themselves. And there's a lot of these like kind of emasculating stereotypes that we give them. But the truth is, if you actually sat down with a man and asked him, like, what does sex provide for you? And you stopped and you listened and you didn't listen with judgment. You didn't listen with, I know exactly what I'm going to say next. Like you just listened, actively listened. And you gave him the time to like go deep and like, and come up with his thoughts and count to the twenties. This is again, this is Alison Armstrong's work where if you count like to, I think it's 27 up to 27, sometimes that's how long it'll take a man to respond to you because they're not used to being able or allowed to express their feelings, emotions, deepest desires. So it's, they have to calibrate, is this safe? 
Is this a a trap? Like what's happening? And it's a lot harder for them. That's why if you listen to some poetry by men, you're blown away because it's just been stored there. And then they found an outlet to release it. You're like, wow, I had no idea that was in there. So if you were to ask a man, what does sex provide for you? Most of them are going to say it's connection, right? Like that is the way that they bond with their partner. So if you're weaponizing that or if you're holding off on it or you see it as a chore, what does that say to him and like what he needs? So I think it's tough. I don't think anyone is going to get exactly what they want. And that's a lot of a relationship is compromise. And I think you have to find a happy medium. I think if we were and I speak, I guess I should speak for myself. There was like a time where I felt like it was a burden where if I had to keep up with my husband's sex drive, especially after kids, it was like a chore, almost like working out. I have to oh, I have to go to the gym. And it's like, I just want to lay here. I just, I have a headache or I feel bloated or I have to go clean up or I, 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 right. Instead of saying like, he really needs this. He really needs connection. I want to connect with my husband. This is a necessary, important and beautiful thing. And just reframing my approach to it. I automatically started having more sex because I didn't look at it like a chore. And then it's also like the gym in a good way was once you're there and once you're done, you're like, that was amazing. I'm so glad I did it. So I think a lot of the time is we get stuck in a negative pattern of like, I don't want to, I'm whatever our story is. But if you can break out of that and see the bigger picture of what it's providing for your relationship, then that's going to set you up for success. And then if there's still a huge gap, it's exploring other options. Like, is he allowed to go get like a man toy and like go masturbate? Is he allowed to watch porn? Like, what does it look like? Does he just need to go for a really intense workout to channel that some other way? I don't know. Mm-hmm. So it's common for women to not want their partner to watch porn, sounds yeah. like. It's very, very, very common. Wow. But then they also don't want to sleep with them. So then what? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like the man's not allowed to be a man. He's supposed to be a woman. You're supposed to have the sex drive that I have. Figure it out. Wow. That's intense. Mm-hmm. No wonder there's so many divorces. <laughs> I mean, there's I think there's a whole bunch of reasons. And I think sex is definitely one of them. It's unbelievable how uncomfortable people are having sexual conversation with their spouse. It's like, this is the person you married. This is the person that you're supposed to get weird with and have fun and explore all of the things and look at it like a buffet, right, with all the options. And it's supposed to be fun and playful. And there's supposed to be zero shame within that container. But we have so much that's there that we haven't explored and we don't want to. So we avoid it. And then it's to the detriment of the relationship. We can't have any intimacy with someone else because we don't even have it within ourselves. That's so true. Lately, I mean, within probably the last month, I keep hearing from friends and other people that they're going polygamy, the Mm -hmm. polygamy route. Like that's what they're looking for now moving forward. And it was like before I rarely ever heard that. And now it seems like everybody wants this. And like, for those who don't know what that is, it's having multiple relationships at one time, not being exclusive. What do you think about this? And has it gone mainstream? It's getting there. It's re- it's really fascinating to watch. I um, <laughs> I see it in a, like a lot of really popular influencers, thought leaders, even in the spiritual space, it exists. It's a lot of people are crafting their relationships very different. And before everyone jumps to judgment, I mean, the divorce rate globally is not great. It's really not great. And for most of the world, it is primarily a monogamous setup. So monogamous setup is you and me, as long as this thing lasts, 
sometimes cheating happens. And so we say that's monogamous, but there's a ton of cheating that's happening behind the scenes. And you have other countries where it's like, no, I have five wives and there is no cheating. Everything is out in the open. Those are two extreme examples. So rather than looking at sex as something that will completely uproot your relationship, like marriage, does marriage mean I only sleep with this person ever? And that's it. Or is marriage something a lot more deep and a lot more profound and something that transcends the, the sexual experience? Because you're letting this one area kind of define what a marriage is. And to me, that's it's interesting because there's definitely going to be a time where there's n- no more sex and then there's going to be seasons without sex. And then there might be cheating. And it's not to say like everyone needs to be poly, but I do think we need to reevaluate what how strong our marriages are, how strong our relationships are. And is it as simple as someone makes a mistake? Because there's like multiple reasons that someone cheats, right? Like it could be very intentional. It can be very cruel. It could be, it is the end of the relationship. And then there's the whoopsie daisy. Like I was a bonehead and I don't know what I was thinking. I love my wife so much and I wish she would forgive me, but she is just unable to, right? Mm-hmm. And there's no judgment on her for that, but it is what it is. And now a marriage is destroyed. Possibly, you know, children, families are destroyed. And it's all because we have like this undissected relationship to sexuality. And what I can say with my experience from being in the industry with my now husband, and he was there for the whole ride, like from watching oh, from the outside. Wow. Yeah, we dated the whole time and we're engaged and all of that is I can say with absolute certainty, and we're not open, like we're in a closed relationship right now is if there was anything that happened, like if he made a bonehead mistake or if he, whatever, if I made a bonehead mistake right now, like it's certainly not going to explode our family. It's certainly not going to lead to divorce. What it's going to lead to is like, is necessary communication as to like why it happened, what needs weren't being met. How did this happen? You know what I mean? Like, how can we prevent it from happening again? And remembering that the end goal is to like grow old and die together. So like this little trip, what is in my mind, trivial thing is not going to destroy my life. It's not going to destroy the life of my boys. And I took the power away from it, essentially. And I think anyone has the capability of doing it. And again, it doesn't mean be poly, but it's just how strong do you want your relationship to mean to be? And then what does marriage mean to you? Because I mean, the legal concept of that is relatively new. And the religious concept of that is relatively new. So I would challenge a lot of people, a lot of like the main talking points that it's something so much more profound. Like when you meet your person, you're like, this is my soulmate. Like it goes beyond a legal document and it goes beyond a religious ceremony. It is like such a bigger commitment than all of that. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of people think when they hear polygamy that it means that they just get to sleep with a whole bunch of people. <laughs> they don't have to be exclusive. But I think for the most part, it's deeper than that, isn't it? It's actually having relationships. Yeah. So there's like open relationships and those tend to be people that are allowed to just have more sexual relationships. And there's rules and parameters around that. And everyone is like crafting it individually, like no two relationships are going to be the same. And then there's the polyamory route, which is more emotional and relationship based. So you'll have your main partner and then you'll have your what they call paramours. So your other partners on the side. And then there's all of these ways to operate that it hopefully doesn't explode. But it's it, that I find to be very tricky. There's very few people, I think, that have successfully figured out the like a true poly relationship where you have multiple girlfriends just in our culture. Obviously, there's some parts of the world where it's very normal to have multiple wives. It's like that is their norm. I think communication is obviously paramount, but I think 
it's tricky if you have the paramours, like so the extra people, if they're monogamous to the one person because then they get too invested. If there's children involved, that obviously gets really complicated. If you have other people that are supposed to be people of influence and then are they staying long term or are they temporary? It's just there's a lot of moving pieces with that. So I think if that's the route you're going to go, you have to like maybe look for some mentors that are doing that in a way that Mm -hmm. emulates a version of yourself or future that you would like to see. Like it's an expander for you and you're like, I respect that person. They seem happy. Um, or that's a life that I would like to lead. So find someone that's doing it the right way because I think it's very tricky. What's his name? Christopher Ryan speaks a lot about it and he's always kind of been poly. Jamie Wheel, I don't know if he's poly or open, but he does talk about it a lot and he kind of comes up with a master plan as to how you can do it. And he's like, you can't have everything. So you have, it's like a main husband or a wife, children, a career, not like a job, but like something that's like really driving passion into your life, other lovers. And I forget what the fifth one is. I think it's like an active social life and you can't have all of them. So you can only have four of the five. So you have to kind of pick what is going to work because it's just too much. And he has a really interesting podcast that he did with Layla Martin on her show. And it was kind of challenging the idea that just because we're monogamous, that automatically that is like the deep, meaningful, conscious decision. Like you can unconsciously go into monogamy and it might not be right for you and it might not be right for your spouse. And you can unconsciously go into any alternative relationship, whether it's open poly or any other version. And then there's a conscious way to go into both of them and to where you've like really thought out your whys, right? Like, are you just doing it because you aren't controlling your sexual appetite or you're avoiding deep commitment with one person? Or is it really something that you feel is important for you? So I think it's important to know yourself and know the reasons that you're doing what you're doing and like seeking the relationship type that you're seeking. Mm -hmm. Why not involve your partner in it? Like, why not just bring them half it kind of all together? (laughs) And some people do that. Some people do that and it's great. And it's like, it's zero drama. I would say when I was shooting outside of shooting, our relationship was relatively closed and anything outside of that, like we were both involved. So it wasn't like he was doing his own thing. I was doing my own thing. And I think people get really scared because like you said, they think it's going to be a free for all and everyone's just having all of the sex. Control is an illusion and they're there and they're faithful and they're monogamous and they're loyal because they want to be. It's not because of these rules that you put on the relationship. So, I mean, when we were in an open relationship and I was shooting, like he never took advantage of that. And this is like six years, never, unless I was there, like never. So it's like the rules that we had prior, during and post had no effect on his decision making. He did what he wanted to do. And that was just to be with me and occasionally, you know, bring someone else in for like the two of us, but like he never wanted to experience that without me. So I hope in some way that's comforting. It's like to relax a little bit because if your partner is going to cheat on you, they're going to cheat on you. And it's the idea of control and like power in that relationship. If you're really hyper-focused on it, I think that that's not like you're not really experiencing each other truly or authentically. It's almost like this version that you're agreeing to pretend to be. 100%. Did your husband watch your videos? Yeah, I mean, he still does. Because we, go, we can go back to like the difference in sex drives. And I just had like, I mean, I have a one-year-old now who's my youngest, but like the sex drive takes a long time to come back, like a really long time. So he doesn't expect me to rev it up all of the time for him because sometimes I'm simply exhausted 
and like he'll he'll go watch one of my videos. And what's funny is because those are so old, it's almost like him watching someone else. I'm like, man, she looks well rested and happy. (laughs) Happy and firm, not a care in the world. It doesn't bother him at all then. No, 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 not at all. That's so interesting. (laughs) He is like way past that, like way, way, way beyond that. I mean, the idea of compersion is something that he introduced me to. And that's kind of that was his approach and lens the whole time is I am so happy that she's happy. I'm so happy that she's doing well. And that was it. It wasn't anything else to there was nothing else to be dealt with or explored. It wasn't jealousy, like possessiveness, like that's my person. Our belonging to each other goes so much further and deeper than the physical. And I think that that's why it's not an issue for us. Did he want you to stop at all? Oh, for sure. Towards the end, he was like, and it's a lot. It takes, it's a huge toll. It's a toll from a societal level, from like a cultural level, physical level. It's a lot. We live on the East Coast. So I was constantly in LA for shooting. Um, So we would go weeks without seeing each other. It got to be exhausting. And then also like the industry is not great. It's not great at all. Like I always say, like I beat a rigged game and I'm so, so, so fortunate for it. And there's a whole bunch of reasons that I can guess as to why I was fortunate. And like a lot of it's my personality and I tend to be a a lot more disagreeable than most women. And that (laughs) has served me in that. You know what I mean? Like it's allowed me to like protect my space and like say no firmly. But yeah, it, it gets exhausting. And I knew that I wanted to try to have children. Like I was told I couldn't. I had different autoimmune issues. I had several specialists say 0% chance. Wow. I did. <laughs> I hired a shaman. We did some like wacky stuff and like psilocybin journeys and all of this. And I got pregnant two weeks later. So I don't know. It was the timing. It was incredible. But we, yeah, we wanted to start a family and I did not want to be shooting, obviously. during that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess you wouldn't be able to. (laughs) No, no, no. It's like way too chaotic. And it just like felt like that chapter was kind of done. Like I was done making a product that I didn't own for a company that didn't give a shit about me. Like I was so past that. Yes. At least if you're going to do it, own it. Exactly. And that's why these other platforms are so, so, so crucial. And I know some people have like a lot of issues with people creating OnlyFans accounts. But the truth of the matter is it's one of the best things to happen to the industry because it's giving power back to the women. It's Mm -hmm. giving power and ownership to them that they didn't have before. And they're understanding the value of the product that they're putting out there and they're in control of it. They're not showing up to a set and, you know, being pushed or coerced into scenes that they don't want to do. They're often filming by themselves in the safety of their home. So regardless of how anyone feels about pornography, like they should be happy that something like OnlyFans launched to keep people safe and to allow actual like conscious choice, right? And that's what we should all be optimizing is freedom and choice. Absolutely. Do you think that you'll have a conversation with your boys at some point about it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't regret anything I did. I don't look at sexuality or sex as shameful. I don't think that you have to automatically subscribe to the way of everyone else's way of living. Right? I firmly believe in crafting your own life and living for yourself curiously and authentically and letting them understand it's going to be hard, right? There are going to be people that pick on you. There are going to be people that try to show you videos, which is so inappropriate. There's going to be people, yeah, there's going to be parents that say you can't be friends with their kid, right? Like all of these things are pretty predictable. I feel like it's it's inevitable. And 
what you do with that is up to you, right? Like I want strong boys. I want to raise strong men and strong men stand up for their family. They stand up for what's right. They don't go along to get along. They know who they are. They don't let anyone else tell them their worth. And I think that it's through parenting and they see how much I adore their dad and how much he adores me. And like, there's no question about the love within our relationship. There's no question that we love them with every cell in our being. So I think if we do all of those things, we're setting ourselves up to a place where I can raise those strong, confident boys and not to give them the illusion that it's going to be easy, but also like I'm a whole person that lived a life before them. And that was my right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That was so well said. I love that. (laughs) Thank you. So what's next? What do you want to do next? So... Right now, I'm like really diving into sacred sexuality, the divine feminine, the divine masculine, and really looking at like what was all of this before religion, right? Hmm. Like back in like ancient Greek times and hmm. in Nordic times, like what were the practices? How do we look at it? How did we use to connect to God before institutions? And really trying to understand like our my own power and like the power that we all have within ourselves that we've forgotten. And I want to kind of take that into like into retreats and seminars and present that information to other people. Oh, that's brilliant. I know that you you've talked quite a bit about anti-fragile marriage, Mm -hmm. how to create an anti-fragile marriage. What does that mean? And how do you do that? What does that entail? So I think getting into porn allowed me to like expose every single vulnerability, insecurity, and weakness that I had within myself and my operating system, like how I was approaching relationships, which I would feel like is pretty typical. I think probably a lot of people could relate, which is a sense of ownership over another person, a sense of someone else's beauty is taking away from my beauty, someone else's light is taking away from my light, like a very fixed mindset, like a very um, like famine mindset. And when I got into porn, made all of that blow up right like Hmm. it just it showed all of that to me and it was like you can live and I I was exposed to so many different kinds of existing so many different kinds of relationships I would see marriages that were they were together for 10 years and they're in porn and they had kids and you're like and they're so happy and they don't have a jealous bone in their body and I'm like there's another way to do this there's another way to live like you can transcend your hardwiring and it's not to say like some people would say that there's an evolutionary reason why we have jealousy. Sure, maybe. But we also have this big, beautiful frontal lobe and I can override that if I want to. And it's not necessarily easy, but I can do it with intention. And if I see someone, it's kind of like the four minute mile. Once you see something, you know it's possible. So you now have that sense of possibility and confidence that you are capable of doing like he did. I can do it. So I see these other marriages that are existing that are so much more solid than I've ever seen because you can't have anything but perfect communication, understanding, empathy, and like connection if you're going to make a decision to sleep with other people. Like it, it is very difficult for most people. So I just chose to work on myself. I chose to get rid of all of the stuff I didn't want. I chose to look at any argument that exposed something as an opportunity to get stronger from it. So the idea of being anti-fragile is like taking something whether it's conflict or opposition and taking that and making you stronger for it, like fortifying you in that way and not creating something that's just like strong, but can still break. Like it's no, like whatever opposition meets me and my husband, we are going to be better for it. And really like having that be an institution within our, our relationship. It's not easy, but it takes, 
I think it's necessary, right? If you have someone that you have, you find out your husband followed a a fitness model on Instagram and liked her photo, and then it's a huge fight. And then now you guys aren't talking for two weeks and you haven't slept together for two weeks. And it's, it's this big, ugly mess. And it's like, is that how strong you want the relationship to be? Or I should say how fragile you want the relationship to be? That, That little thing does everything instead of just looking at it and realizing, okay, I don't like how I feel when that happened making it about yourself. So extreme accountability in that regard. And like, why do I feel this way? Like, does, has he shown me any evidence other than this, that he's going to leave me, that he doesn't love me, that he doesn't respect me? Because that's what we tell ourselves Im- immediately. We see the thing that we don't like. Well, he doesn't think I'm as pretty as her. She looks different than me. And he must not respect me because other people are seeing that he liked it. We come up with all of these assumptions and accusations based off of nothing but our crazy emotions and feelings in that moment. Instead of taking a step back and saying, I'm not my thoughts. I'm not my feelings. This is my wiring. This is my conditioning. Do I want to keep it? Do I want to get rid of it? And how do I transmute it into something bigger and better so I can be a better person for this challenge? I love that. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Is that be part of what you teach? I hope so. Yeah. It's definitely one of my biggest lessons that I've learned because I was wildly jealous before I got into porn. Wow. Wildly jealous. I did not have healthy mentors or models growing up. Like what was modeled for me as far as romantic relationship was chaos, like absolute chaos. And I think sometimes um, you can confuse like toxicity and chaos and like what is really like abusive as passion. And then if you find something peaceful and healthier, like this is dull, this is boring, I don't want it. And it takes a lot of conscious work to separate that and say, no, that's just the loop I've been stuck in because that's how I was raised. And seeing women just get so derailed because the guy she was with would be like, oh, Angelina Jolie is so beautiful. And she'd fucking lose it. Like he's never going to meet Angelina. In no world is he even going to meet her in person. She's not a threat to your relationship. Her beauty doesn't take away from your beauty, right? Like you can both shine. Like it's not, it's not, yeah, it's just so insecure. And that was what was modeled. So I felt like, like everything was an option and every, and all of those options were direct threats on my stability of the relationship on my abandonment issues would come out, right? So if there was someone else that was beautiful and he noticed her, well, that's an immediate threat to my relationship. Instead of like, he's a living, breathing man and he's going to appreciate beauty. And just because he likes a Picasso doesn't mean that he can't appreciate a Van Gogh when he walks by. It doesn't mean that he's going to yeah. like do a fire sale and get rid of me. So I had to reestablish like a, just a sense of safety within myself because that's what it was really about is I just didn't feel safe. And then that was manifesting in all of these other ways externally, because again, it's always easier to focus outward than inward. It sounds like having an anti-fragile relationship just all starts with you and becoming the best you and the most confident you. Yeah, I think it always does. You're right. Like everyone wants so much relationship advice. And I think fundamentally it's working on yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. Well, this is a good. <laughs> yeah, I could just talk to you forever. I have so many questions I want to ask. Now, where can we listen to your podcast? Where can we find more information about you? So you can find the podcast anywhere that there's podcasts, YouTube, Rumble. You can go to chattingwithcandice.com and then all the socials are Candice Horback. Awesome. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I absolutely <laughs> thank you for having me. This is a blast. <laughs>